The scripture reading for this evening comes from Galatians 2, 1 through 10. This is God's word. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be here. I think this is my first time speaking here since you guys uh, brought Pastor Will here. So him and I have seen each other at some different meetings here and there. And so we always say we're going to catch up. But anytime two preachers say that, we're just talking because we all know our schedules are so busy. (laughs) But we finally may do. And so I'm here. Um, Before I actually get into the sermon, which will kind of feed into this, Basically, um, since I've been here, I've been here a few times and I've spoken here. We uh, have uh, bought a building um, in Fairfield. And um, actually, I don't know if it's here or not, um, the architect guy that's working on the building for us is Brian. Some of y'all know Brian. Brian's a good guy. And so he's come out. And anyhow, I have the great um, responsibility of now, I don't know, I'm meeting with um, Max's construction tomorrow and they're going to give me the real, how much is this going to cost? <laughs> but God is good, so we, we're, we're going to trust God with that. So be praying for me tomorrow morning at 930 because Pastor Hart is going to be shaking like, <laughs> like a leaf. <laughs> but in that, um, we're going to be meeting to discuss um, how to really, what God is doing. I think not just Fairfield, but it's in Fairfield. Fairfield is located on the, on the west side of the city, and what God is trying to do with that. And so what I did tonight, just so I don't forget, um, we've been, I've been working overload. I mean, they don't pay pastors to do all of this because I'm still a one-man show at a church for the most part. Um, just for if you want feedback of what's going on, how you can participate, this is kind of shows how the, the building is going to look, and it's going to show um, just um, what it looks like now. That's what the building looks like now. And so I would like for you, if you want feedback, 
um, put your name on this list and email, and then basically I'm going to put you into our database, and then you can begin blogs of what's going on and all of this, which will feed into a lot of stuff, which is what I'm really going to be talking about tonight as far as the subject matter. So please don't let me forget that. If you just jot your name down, your email, and, and all of that, um, and just for us to be in contact with you. Um, Birmingham. I've been here now four years in August. I'm originally from Selma. I went to Grand Rapids, Michigan, had a pit stop in Louisville, and four years the Lord brought me back. And Birmingham is unique. It's unique for a lot of reasons. Um, it, you don't have to go too far. And you mentioned the, the city of Birmingham, Alabama, and almost all over the world people know about Birmingham, Alabama. Um, on June 29th, um, there was an article uh, that was written on AL.com, which this is what the article says. It says, ouch, Alabama City named one of 50 worst places to live in the U.S. And it was written by a lady named Lita Gore. And the article, as she was talking about it, was an organization who did the research. It was called 24-7 Wall Street. They did the research. And they listed the bottom 10 places in the U.S. to live. Miami was first. Detroit was second. Patterson was third. Patterson, New Jersey. Hawthorne, California was fourth. And Fall River, Massachusetts was fifth. And number six the great magic city, Birmingham, Alabama. Then after that, you got Memphis, Flint, and Cleveland, and Gary. Within the article, it goes on to say um, that, that the medium home value here in Birmingham was 84000 roughly $100,000 less than the national medium home value. But this is one that I really want to bring out, which this, this article goes on to say, which leads to um, a poor population in a weak economy. And then it says this. It says a typical Birmingham household earns only $30,000 a year and the city's poverty rate is that of 30.5%. It's nearly double the national poverty rate. So the poverty in Birmingham is double that of the national rate. And so, like many cities which pervasive poverty, Birmingham is a relative dangerous place to live. And you've got to be Rip Van Winkle not to see that in the news every day. And I see it in Fairfield. I experience it quite a bit, just being in Fairfield. Well, in the last few months, four months, um, Urban Hope Community Church, PCA Church Plant on the, in, in Fairfield, when I came to Fairfield, we had a grocery store. Now we don't have a grocery store. Walmart Supercenter left, abandoned the city. And if you've been watching the news, we've been in the news for almost everything. Um, phone gets cut off for the city. I think the water's going to get cut off for the city. It's just all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of upheaval since we've gotten there. I'm like, God, what are you trying to do to me? I mean, fail the church on the first three years. I mean, it's already hard enough, but the whole city is shutting down. And there's tremendous, a lot of poverty. But in that, 
um, I just, you know, just said, God, okay, here's my heart. Here's what you've been putting on my heart for a long time. And uh, I was doing this in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now that I'm here, I'm just going to go ahead and just step out. I'm 50 years old. I turned 50 years old a couple weeks ago. And, and, uh, and so I said, well, I ain't got anything to lose. I'm 50 now. <laughs> Let's just put it out there. So I'm going to go for it. And so I, I went through our core values at our church. And, and I just said, hey, guys, this is what Urban Hope is, is endeavoring to do. This is the heart of it. And um, this is the heart of it. And I just told our church, this is what we're endeavoring to do. I said, Urban Hope as a church is endeavoring to, to, to minister and to disciple to the urban poor. And I said, let me name what that is. Let me not just be vague. I don't want it to be vague anymore. I wanted to really say what it is. So the urban poor, which consists of the fatherless, um, the modern-day um, widows, single moms, um, the underemployed, those with criminal um, records, those with little intact family support, those suffering from the lack of knowledge, and education, and those who are most vulnerable to all kinds of systemic social injustice. Our vision is leading people out of Egypt and into the promised land of freedom. We're trying to to bear the gospel in Fairfield, in the west side of Birmingham, and to bring people out of that spiritual and mental state of mind into the promised land of freedom, which is only found in Jesus Christ. In biblical ancient times, the social order consisted of four groups. The first group was called the monarch or the aristocratic families, and they were made up about one to two percent that made up society in biblical times. The second group was basically a middle-class family groups, retainer groups, tax gatherers, soldiers, police, scribes, priests, and it basically made up about five to seven percent. But the bulk of the population was about 75 percent, and they were the working poor. The Greek word there is penis, which those who basically do manual labor. It consisted of farmers, merchants, craftsmen, and all that kind of stuff, fishermen. In our time, that would be like those working at fast food restaurants, making minimum wage, Walmart, with very little education and remarkable skills. And then you have this fourth group, which is basically what they call the untouchables. And it made up about 15%. And the poor word there's patojos, which were your beggars the cripples, the prostitutes, the criminals, those who lived in the, in the hedges outside the cities, those who were destitute of all resources, especially someone who had lost many of all of his or her family and social ties. I can't tell you since I've been in Fairfield um, how many people I'm running into that really have no connection to their biological family? None. Um, just totally devoid of family, family structure. I was at the um, 
if you have a basketball game, I mean, not a football game, they call it the Jamboree football game. It's a game before the real game starts. I guess all of that was last week. And, um, and so Urban Hope sponsored the food for the team because they don't have enough whatever to the kids. The parents are not that involved or whatever. It's just a sad situation. But anyhow, we sponsored the food, and I did the speaking, and I was talking to the coach, and I said, how many of these kids' fathers are involved in their lives? Just, just ask. It was about 65, because I had ordered food for 65 kids. And he looked. One. <laughs> One dad that's even involved. So you have a, 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 just even in that, and, and he was just like, man, I'm dropping these children off, you know, because the parents are not picking them up at the end of the games. He says, just, we just need help, Pastor. We just need help. So here you see um, devoid of good, strong family social ties. And so this is what I, where I say urban poor, and I'm telling people in the Presbyterian, that's what we're trying to do. I want people to understand. That's where they say, let's plant a church in Fairfield, but that's where we're being planted. That's, that's who's there. That's what's around us. Most of those who are attending church are those who, on the middle class, they have their churches already, so they're not going to leave their church and come to a PCA church for the most part. Most of them are over the age of 50, 55, 60, and they're in that group. But this is where it brings us to our text. It says that Paul, he's telling the Galatians about his experience um, when he first met with the other apostles. We know the story of Paul. He was called Saul before meeting the Lord on, his, on the road to Damascus where Jesus, who's a heart transformer, you know, he transforms people. And he met Paul that day, transformed his life. And we know the story from Paul that he became one of the greatest missionaries for spreading the gospel to the known world of his day. But what we see here in this scene in Galatians chapter 2, all the apostles are gathered together. These are men who have been entrusted with the gospel. Men who will lay down the foundations to the church. So they were not Johnny come lately to the party. These guys knew Jesus. They had been trained well. They had walked with Jesus. They had ate with Jesus. They have seen him in the risen form. They knew him. So they're there. They laid down the blueprint to the church. And Paul, in verse 9, he calls them pillars. So these guys, you know, they got their stripes. Now, the purpose of this gathering in Jerusalem, it was all over the full implication of the gospel. What is the gospel? They were debating because the Judaizers, the Jews, those from the, were saying, well, you need to act like a Jew, eat like a Jew. You can't go to Jim and Nick's. You can't go to full moon. You got to give up all that, all that, you know, I like the golden flake corn. What do you call those little pork rinds, you know? They were trying to get stop the, the Gentiles from eating that. And the Gentiles were like, well, I got to give up my pork rinds. <laughs> I, can, I can't tell Kate that Alabama and Auburn have my pork rinds. You know, what's wrong with that? I don't want to carry no apples and oranges with me. What's some barbecue? Then the Judaizers say, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. You're not good enough because, you know, we need to add. We always need to add. People are always trying to add on. The gospel is just not enough. Just... Do this, do that. So the apostles were debating that. 
Should the Gentile Christians take on Jewish rituals and customs? And so Paul, they talked about that. And then Paul says, well, in verse 5, Paul says, So then we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul said, we didn't give that nonsense. Any, 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 we, we heard them, but they went in and went out. We went with the gospel. That's what he says in verse 5. So after they debate in this hot conversation, they come to this amazing statement, which is the title of my, my sermon here tonight, which I've been preaching without, within the presbytery. Um, it's probably the 10th time. Why now? Why Birmingham? Why now? Why at this particular time? Look at our country. Look what's happening. And uh, I was listening to Matt Chandler. He was saying this is probably a good thing for the church that we're being pushed to the margins again. So that the true church can arise. And so for such a time as this, it's a sermon. It's like God is blowing on it. He's breathing his grace to it. And, um, and so the apostles come to the end of their debate and then get ready to depart they say Paul hey it's been good seeing you we can see God's grace is with you and Barnabas and then they say to him we want to ask one thing of you Paul you gotta remember now this is the apostles this is Peter James they, don't, they say remember the poor just remember the poor. They don't, they don't give him anything else. They don't give him, go preach the gospel more boldly. They only ask that he remembers the poor. And you just got to think about if you're reading that. Like, with all the things they could have said to Paul, that's what they give him. We just get out of a hot, d- debated conversation, and this is what you leave me with. Just remember the poor. They could have said to Paul, hey, Paul, you know what? Go preach the gospel more boldly. Remember to tell the Gentiles um, that God loves them, that he has a wonderful plan for their lives. You know, he could have, they could have told Paul, hey, just go tell them the three steps to happiness or five steps to success. That's kind of a new, that's a, it's not a new thing, but that's where the church, you want the church to go fast? Just put a success program to it. And I've been tempted to do it. I was like, man, you know, I go on the street, man, them guys got all them people down there. You go, listen, man, and you hear him say, you want to be successful? You want to have success marriage? I said, man, I should run back to Fairfield. <laughs> Y'all want to have success marriage? Just get up every morning and make coffee, Starbucks for your wife or something like that. And, and who knows? <laughs> we don't know what, they, you know. But the, the apostles could have told them that. they don't so here's a question for us why did they have to ask of him this one reminder why did they have to say remember the poor why did the apostles even have to bring it up why is it even in, even in the conversation the Holy Spirit inspired word of God is here for us to see why is it even in the text that you remember the poor not anything else but remember the poor you know why? Because it's hard. Don't let anyone fool you that doing ministry to the poor in our world, it is not for the faint of heart. It is easy. 
It is not easy at all. People ask me, Pastor Hardy, you know, how's it going in Fairfield? Well, you really want me to, how much time do you have? How much time do you want me to share with you when I'm running into people preaching the gospel like here tonight? You know, it's amazing when I go to church and I just listen, even how the pastor talks of what the words are getting written down in the liturgy and just how much of it just for the average person that I run into, they can't even read that. You know, it was like that in Jesus' day. Not everybody was, had the ability to read. So it's not easy. You have to, it's clear. You have to say it a different way. You just can't use the word lament. Pastor, what is lament? <laughs> it's when you get a spanking and you start crying. You know, that's lament. That's what I told one kid the other day. <laughs> because it's hard dealing with the poor. And the apostles knew that. They knew that the social needs, the literacy, and the material challenges would be overwhelming. So Paul, you got to remind yourself, don't forget the poor. They told Paul that. Don't forget the poor. Remember the poor. Remember the potholes. The weak those who have been marginalized, those who are poor without social ties, family ties. Paul, don't forget them. But this is where it gets real interesting to me. The apostles saying that to him, but it's how Paul responds to it. What they request of him. Paul says, the very thing I was eager to do. Huh? <laughs> you, what do you mean you're eager, Paul? <laughs> what do you drink? What coffee did you have this morning? What kind of, let me know so I can drink it. <laughs> what do you mean you are eager? You mean you, you're not guilty? You're not, you don't feel like, oh man, why you got to bring that up, Peter? I was doing good. I thought we, I was going to just get the blessings and go on about my way. Why you guys got to remind me of that? Who wants to do ministry to the poor? This word eager is great words for dazzle. It means to be enthusiastic. Paul says, I'm eager. I'm enthusiastic. I'm strongly wanting to do this. I am zealous to do it. No one makes me go serve the poor. No one makes me go minister to the poor. I, I desire to do it. It's, it's, it's something that's in me. I want you to feel that. What's in Paul, this great apostle who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, eager to go to a city like Fairfield, West End, the poor of the poor. What does Paul know about the gospel? that maybe we're maybe missing. And so what made this apostle so enthusiastic to labor and to take the gospel, the holistic gospel to the poor? If 
Paul was here tonight, I think Paul would say, if he was here and he could come here in the flesh, and he would say, Red Mountain, I know your vision, I've seen your heart. Your desire to be here in the city of Birmingham, where it's listed as one of the most six, most worst places in America to live. Poverty is all around. The illiterate, the brokenness, the family structures, the whole nine yards. And Paul says, I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm here to motivate you. I'm here to, so you can be spodazzled, <laughs> cheering, like you would be cheering at an Auburn-Alabama football game. I think Paul would say, you know, what, why he was so eager to do it, why he was so enthusiastic to do what he was, says he was eager to do that the apostles admonished him to do. And Paul would say this, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he says, for you know, all y'all, if you're Christian, the grace, let's start there. Did you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? God's goodness to me and you before we got ourselves right or even tried to. When we were out of our mind, lost, pagan, heathen, totally an enemy of God. But Paul said, do you know the grace of our Lord that was shown through Jesus Christ? God in his mercy, in his benevolent goodness towards sinners. I know I was one. Lost and couldn't be found. But I thank God that he has an all-seeing eye. He could find me anyhow. <laughs> Paul says, it was the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, do we understand how rich he was? <laughs> Angels being worshipped day and night. No one's plucking his beard. No one is calling him a name. He's being glorified day and night. Holy, holy, holy. No one like you. No one can look like you. You're God all by yourself. You're high and holy. You're, you're the great I am. You are God. And Paul says he was rich. Jesus for our sake, he became poor. You want to know what's, what's in giving Paul the motivation? He understands the heart of the gospel. Because Paul says, I know how poor I was. I know I was spiritually blind. I had no bootstraps to pull myself up. It was Jesus Christ in his mercy that stopped me on that road to Damascus and gave me eyes to see. I was blind like Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles. I was blind, blind. <laughs> but God met me. You gotta let that sink in. God met me. He meets you. Why? Mercy. Paul says he became poor. So that by his poverty, we might become rich, spiritually rich. 
with his blessings. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what motivated Paul. People ask me, why are you in Fairfield? The, the question is, is why not you? And this is what Jonathan Edwards was saying. Jonathan Edwards said, we get the gospel. This is what Keller is trying to say. If we get it, it, it becomes... When I see those kids in Fairfield, when I saw those young men Friday night with no dads, God says, that was me from Selma. I can't never forget that story. Who am I to say, well, I pulled myself up. I put myself in the PCA. I did all this by my own osmosis. That would not be true. And Paul would say that is not true was true of his life. And Edward says, in his sermon, The Duty of the Charity to the Poor, he explained this. Edward says that the Christian should care for the poor because it is an obligation resulting from the presence of God's grace in our life. When the grace of God's word and who what God has done really sets into the heart of a human being, it's like natural reflection. Edward says this is this is this grace of God is the only thing that can draw us human beings out of ourselves into unselfish living. This building is not just a building, it's a place for the power and the gospel to be preached. In Fairfield, the Word of God. Been in three years preaching in Fairfield. And we have come in serving with very little people help, but God is starting to bring them in. The churches are like, Pastor, how can we get in? Because we know something is missing. We know it. We know this is this is this is not first century church. We know it and we can feel it. And the guy said to me yesterday at Magic City Grill, um, they've now, through the grace of God, and serving our way in and serving the people in Fairfield, God, I can't, and I'm coming to an end. It, God has opened up the city to us. He says, Pastor, you can do whatever you want in our school. So basically, we started a school within the school of Fairfield, a dropout recovery school. We take about 30, 40 kids, preach the word of God to them, and this building is going to do a culinary, it's going to do jobs for life training, it's going to do construction training, it's, but everything is going to be done with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know how else to attack the poor. And it's calling men and women to repent. It's holding up the blueprint for the family life, which is marriage and family. That is what I've been preaching in Fairfield, and I end with this story. The superintendent of Fairfield Schools, hearing me preach this word, he wasn't married at the time. The Holy Spirit convicted him. Says, so you want your school changed, you do the first thing right. He called me, said, Pastor, I need to repent. God was speaking through you. Can you marry me? I said, this is sure, this is the superintendent. I want to make sure somebody's not trying to bootleg my phone. I looked at my phone, he said, yes, this is him. Three months later, after counseling, I married him. The man's been weeping ever since. 
And he told me personally, do not, Pastor Hardy, do not stop preaching what you've been preaching. It is the only hope for our city. It's the only hope for Fairfield schools. It is the only hope for our inner city schools where you have a budging 90% out of wedlock. It is only the word of God that's being preached. Word indeed that can bring. And that's what Paul took to the poor. He didn't take guilt. He didn't take two steps to happiness. He took what he knew to be true. That Jesus saves. Let me pray. Father, you are the one that saves. And you are doing that, not just in Fairfield. You're doing that all over the world. You're saving people to your, and bringing them to yourself. And Father, I just thank you for Red Mountain. Lord, touch their hearts. Cause them to become a partner to Fairfield and, and the work that you want to see be done there. And only you can do that, Father. I can't do that. So tonight, God, show us that the truth of the matter is that we're all poor, spiritually bankrupt. But you, Jesus, left glory to rescue us. And we are forever grateful and thankful for that which you have done. We love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I praise your name now, forever and forever. Amen.